0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com
1: Everybody, finally we get to do a live class. It's been long overdue. So thank you all for coming. Thank me for coming also. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, no, I happen to be here anyway, so you're not that special, really. But the truth <laughs> is, no. The reason is why I came was so that I could do the class. I happened to be, work it out this way. So, I'm happy that I was able to come and we're able to do a live class. Tonight, we're learning Le and Eitanatu Bat and also Le Avraham Ben Ben So, tonight, Was one of those topics that I was going through the top. I had my material of what I wanted to say. I had that, that, you know, my ideas of what I wanted to speak about. But the titles and the the way that I was going to present it kept on switching from different topic for different topic. Originally, the topic was Hishtadlut with money. That was my original topic for it. And the more that I realized that, the more I realized that there is a little bit of a different angle that is beneficial to look at this. And that is, there's a very, very common saying uh, that a lot of people like to throw around. And the common saying is, don't work hard, work smart. So that is a very, very nice saying. But the question is, what does that mean? You know, like, so, you know, what, what do you, how do you define smart working? So what, you delegate so you don't have to work so much? Or maybe you're, you have uh, maybe uh, very, very effective procedures? Or maybe you know how to invest smart? Maybe you got into the right business? What is don't work hard, but work smart. Like, what, how do you define that? Like, what is it? So you work less, or you work more? You focus on different areas. And while I completely agree with this idea, with the, it's better to work smart and not work hard. Not saying that you shouldn't work hard, but you should definitely work hard and work smart. But the idea behind it is very. I'm very, very big proponent that I go and I push that you should you know, have the most effective, efficient, productive, with the least expensive, while increasing in quality of your work across the board. Like, I am definitely pushing for that, and you should know that in many cases, many companies and many corporations and many organizations have the ability to do this. It's not that difficult to go and to make things more effective, more efficient, and more productive. And also not to reduce on on quality. So why don't people do this? Why don't people jump at this? So... I was thinking about it, and I think it boils down to two reasons, two at least of the top reasons that I could think of. And that is, number one, is that people get stuck in their ways. And when you get stuck in the ways, you know, you don't want to branch out, you don't like to be uncomfortable, new positions. You rather do what you know that you're doing, even though that it's not the most effective, most productive, most efficient, and it uh, you know, doesn't produce the most quality type of work. And this is why you have people that are in certain jobs that they're not happy with, and they stay there. Why now? Why not go find another job? Why is this job giving you any more than anything else? Because you know what? I got used to it. I'm scared of change. I don't want to. So people don't want to change. And that's why they don't move to work less, but more smarter. The other reason is that I think it costs money to... Let me rephrase that. If you want to go and work smarter, it's usually more pricier in the beginning. What that means is that you have somebody that goes and has a company. And it's not effective, you know, whatever it is. He's not not producing as much as he would like to or she would like to. And in order to go and change up the company, they would have to hire consultants, and then they have to hire new people, fire other people. And they're just, they're not interested in it. It's just going to cost them too much money, and they just look at the short picture, and they don't look at the big picture. So if they're not looking at the big picture, then of course they're not going to be, they're not going to go in the branch out to be more, more effective. They're not going to be, if you realize, the companies that are really successful, they're constantly pushing more money into the company. They're making more money, and they go and they hire somebody. Now you go to a little mom and pop shop, and there's a CEO that's very, very good at what he does or what she does, but they char- they, their salary is a half a million dollars. So you'd be like, wait a minute, that's going to take away all my profits. Why would I hire somebody? But little do you know, if you go and you hire with this guy's plan and this guy's foresight, he's going to be able to go and make you three times the amount. But you're too scared to stay where you're going. So a lot of people, they stay, they don't, they're, they're too scared to branch out, to go and be more productive, and hence the title to work, uh, work smarter, not harder. But they focus to stay harder. And this is the idea in the secular world on my understanding of what this means to work smarter, not harder. Now, the truth of the matter is, it's very nice, and again, I completely agree with everything that I just said. But Which I should, because I said it. But <laughs> the other idea that you have to also bring into your mind is... Well, what's the end goal? So you want to, you know, you have somebody who's giving you business advice or degree advice or work advice or whatever type of advice. And they tell you, if you do this, you're going to be more successful. You'll have to work less. You'll get X, Y, and Z more. Now, the question you have to ask yourself is, where is my end goal? It's always good to look at the big picture. The problem is, and it's it's not only, it's in everybody, me included, it's very hard to sometimes see the big picture. You sometimes you only see the you know the, the the small picture and it's hard and you you kind of give give up very very quickly. And I just came from a um, from a shul that made a grand opening uh, in in their new location, and I was with this organization, kind of still are, <laughs> um, with for what was it five six years. This is why this is the organization that basically started the girls' class, and when the ups and downs that they went through and again I don't know how much they want me to share and probably what I'm about to say probably I shouldn't say but you know there were times where the attendance were very low in the other classes or whatever it is and uh, you know it didn't look like they were going to be successful in let's say opening up an actual shul it didn't look like they were. it just looked like it it wasn't holding strong and anything in life you know you go through relationships sometimes it doesn't look like it's holding so strong you go through your health it doesn't look like it's holding so strong at certain times there's all these different things that we go through little bumps and and we feel like we're about to fall apart. But then there are certain people that instead of giving up, instead of saying, you know what, it doesn't look like it's going to work out. It doesn't look like I, I did everything that I could, you know, like I'm done. And they don't look at the big picture. And guess what? They usually don't, don't survive the rat race, if what we want to call it. Then you have people that they have a vision. And let's say their vision is that they want to make this relationship work. They want to make this marriage work. They want to go and they want to grow in Yiddishkeit. They want to go and they want to open up a certain business. Whatever it is, is their, their plans. And they hit bump after bump after bump and they keep on going. And they keep because Why? Because they see their end goal. Their end goal is I want to be there and I don't care if it's going to cause me hardships or heartaches or whatever it is. I am going to get there. can't tell you how many people are in relationships that started off so bad... That ends up being the biggest blessing possible. The biggest blessing, like it somehow turns around like crazy. So, when you go and you try to think of the concept to work smarter, not harder, you also have to think about the end goal. <laughs> this was for me, right? All right, okay. <laughs> oh, I just drink something. Okay. So. There was once this is a famous story. I probably said this before, but it's worthy to repeat. There was once a businessman that was on vacation, and you know there are certain things that people like doing on vacation. Some people like going golfing. Uh, this particular businessman like going fishing, and he's in there, you know, at the docks. He's fishing, and he sees over there, you know, a whole row of fishermen. If you ever walked on the boardwalk anywhere, you see all the people go sit over there, and they're—it's very interesting. They're either about 175 years old or 16. There's like very little in between that area. They all have a pail of dead meat or something, and they catch fish like this size, and they're very happy. Coney Island fish, I don't know. what, But whatever it is, to eat their own. Some people enjoy it. It's not for the fact that they're eating something. It's just the fact, I don't know, maybe it's power. I don't know. what. I I can't for the life of me understand. Maybe because I haven't gone fishing before, but I I can begin to see the enjoyment of it. You literally sit, and you wait for fish to come to you, and then you do this. (laughs) Oh, you caught a good one, Billy. <laughs> what do you think? I have 17 beers already. <laughs> you know, this equals something. So whatever. But uh, I guess the thrill of death, I don't know, whatever it is. So <laughs> to each their own. There's this particular businessman. Again, maybe I haven't gone fishing, and one day I'll go fishing and be like, wow, this is the most amazing, blah, 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 whatever. So anyways, there was once this businessman that he was fishing, and he saw a whole row of fishermen. And he saw one particular fisherman that was very, very skillful. I don't know what that means because again, you, you you just throw. But he was skillful. Maybe he knew how to. He did stuff that was skillful looking, and this businessman knew what he's talking about because he likes fishing. So you know, just trust me. And he goes over to, um, to to this fisherman, and he sees that this fisherman is leaving his, you know, his station early for a few hours, caught a few fish, not calling island fish, you know, like Caribbean-style fish, you know, got some like, good tuna or whatnot, um, or salmon, I don't know, depending on, I'm not a fishing guy, whatever it is. And he goes and he leaves. And the businessman sees him leaving, he goes over to him and says, excuse me, why are you heading out? The day there's, you know, there's still a lot of daylight left, you can still fish more. And this fisherman goes and says, well, I caught my fish and it's time for me to, uh, to go home. He says, "But you could catch more fish," and he's like, "No, I like when I, whenever I catch enough fish for the day, I pack up, I collect my wife, we do a nice walk on the beach, then I on the boardwalk, and then we go and I pick up the kids from school, play with them, you know, do their homework with them, do a little barbecue with the fish I caught, and then you know, live die repeat, you know, come up again to the next day and start all over again." And he goes and he says that the businessman goes and says that you know what, but if you would just stay a little bit longer, you would get more fish, and you can make more money. And the fisherman goes over to him and says, yeah, but what is that going to help me with? He's like, no, what do you mean? He says, if you make more money, you could actually buy a boat. And he's like, yeah, a boat is kind of relaxing. He goes, like, what am I going to do? He's like, no, 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 not for relaxing. You go, and you go out into the ocean. There you could get bigger fish and better fish and more fish. And the fisherman says, yeah, true, but uh, how is that going to help me? And he's like, he's like, what do you mean? He's like, you're going to be able to sell it and make more money. And he's like, what, what am I gonna do with like what, what am I gonna do with this money? And he's like, wait, well, if you take this money, you're gonna be able to buy a bigger boat. I'm like, yeah, boats are cool. I like, you know, I'm in the ocean, you know, like, but what am I gonna do with, like what, what you know, I don't understand where you're going with this. He's like, no, you don't understand. I'm going with money, like you're gonna get money, and you're gonna get more money, money, money. That's what you're gonna get. And he's like, What am I gonna do with all this money, what am I gonna do with it? He's like, no, then you're going to be able to go and make so much fish and you're going to be able to hire other boats and fleets and then you're going to have a tremendous corporation and you're going to make even more money. He's like, again with this money, what's going on? Like, what am I going to do with all this? He's like, eventually, you'll be very successful and you could be like me. I'm a ve- I have a lot of corporations, I'm very successful. And he's like, well, so what's so special about you? And this uh, businessman goes and says, listen, he says, look at me. He says, I go on vacation all the time. I sit over here, I relax, I enjoy, I fish, and I have a good time. And then I go, I take a walk with my wife and my kids, do a little bit of homework, make a little barbecue with them. And as he's talking, all of a sudden the businessman is hearing what he's saying. And the fisherman is like, yeah, so I'm doing that right now. He's like, why would I chase my tail around in a big circle just to come back? So you think that you're all a B'chacham, and you know exactly what's going on. So you went, and you created a large corporation, and you went this, and you worked hard, and you slaved and you lost stress and this, and here's a dog with heart attacks, and who knows how stress, stressed, only to come back to where I am today, and I'm kind of relaxed and tense. He says, what do you gain more than me? So when you think about it, yeah, work smarter, not harder, to what's the end goal? is so who 's over here at one point, you look at the businessman he 's the guy who 's working smarter he 's also working harder, but he 's also working smarter, and then you have the fisherman over here who 's not working smart, but his end goal is this is where I want to be. I want to spend time with my wife. I want to be able to take walks on her on the beach because that 's what she wrote on her dating resume, so I have to keep to and I want to do homework with my kids <clears throat> you know because for some, whatever reasons. School doesn't teach them things, and I have to learn algebra every single year. And uh, number, because parents obviously have to relearn the entire, anybody who knows what I'm talking about, have to relearn everything, what you're talking about. And be like, why do I have to do fractions again? You know, I outgrew this, you know, I have a calculator, now I have to do it again with my children. But, of course, I'm very happy. Not me, I'm talking for somebody else. <laughs> so, I had a friend who said that. So, um, and... Then, you, then, he, then he goes and he says, you know, and then I'll make barbecues with my kids and then we're like, you're ending up at the, the same location. So who is the one that's smart over here? Everyone's telling you, big business people are going to tell you work smarter. And yes, I agree with that. I think you should work smarter. But you also have to picture of what's your end goal. The problem with this saying, the problem that I have with this saying is that when somebody goes over to you and says, you know, you have to work smarter, not harder, really what they're saying is, I am the one who made the success. I am the one who got where I am today because I know how to work smart. So you take all of your success, all the power that you have, and this is something we spoke about in previous classes, and you put it only on yourself. And this is the reason of my success. We forget about the main reason of our success, and that is HaKadosh Baruch That's the reason of our success. So when we take these two, this, this idea that everything is Min right? let's branch off on that, that topic for a little bit. Everything is from God, but at the same point in time, we have to do our Ishtalut. So then the question that we always have to ask is, where is the balance? We spoke about this before in other areas, I want to focus in this, on this thing. So what's the, what's the difference between everything is from God and I have to do my effort? We, how much effort and how much is everything from God? Do I have to do less, do I have to do more? Where do we balance that? The Gemara in Bait, so go in page 16a, goes and says, Kol shel adam k'tuvim lo the person, how much a person's going to make that year is already decreed from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. Chutz except Meratzat Shabbatot Meratzat Yom Tov, except for what you spend on Shabbos and what you spend on Yom Tov, Banav and for what you give for your children to go and learn Torah. And then the Gemara goes on, it says, Sheim Pacha said, if he went less, they go and they reduce the amount of money that he was supposed to make. The and if he went and he added to the amount of money that he was using on Shabbat, on on Yom Tov, or on for his kids' tuition, then then they go and they add on to him. Meaning that you are supposed to make a certain amount of money. The Gemara and Oshana says, and Beta goes and says that you're supposed to make a certain amount of money and that's a on Oshana. If you use more for certain areas, you will make more to over to, to, you know, to compensate for that. If you'll use less, meaning that it was a certain calculation that you were supposed to use, if you use less on that, then they will make you less, meaning that you can't steal away from what you already decreed. Whatever was decreed, that's what you got. So all this that we have to speak about, we have to think about one thing. So wait a minute. So if I work smarter, or not harder, then is it going to make a difference for my bottom line? Or is it maybe going to make a difference for how much effort I have to put in? So bear in mind this, this thought process. The Chachamim go and tell us that... There is no connection between the amount of ishtalut that you do to the amount of money that you bring home. Now let's repeat that one more time. The amount of effort that you put out there does not equal the amount of money that you bring home. And if you want on understand this, ask anybody in sales. You have people that are in sales and they try to go and they're working all day and they're working so many hours but they're not making any money. And then they happen to make one accidental sale and that's, that you know, gives them money for the entire year. The Mishnah Boah goes and quotes the that says that you should say Parshat Haman every single day, and this is also a skulah which, bizarrely, I want to I want to speak about one of the topics so coming up. I want to speak about skulah to make money. Uh, obviously, one of them is to work, but the other ones. One of them is to say Parshat Haman, and that is. That you, the, the idea behind parashat Man is something very interesting. So when you go and you read parashat Man, parashat Man is, is the parashat that speaks about, it, uh, it's, it's not a whole parashat, but it's a section of the, what the Torah that speaks about when the man fell from, from heaven. Now when the man fell from heaven, from Shemayim, there was people that, kept, that picked less, and then there were people that picked a lot. What did they end up with when they came home? The people that picked very few, ended up with everything that they needed, expanded. The people that took a truckload, they they hired Hertz, and they went, and they took truckloads of truckloads of not to their house. By the time they got the house, they only had the portions that they were supposed to get. Meaning, those that added, and those that subtracted, they ended up with the same amount at the end of the day. We see over here, that it doesn't matter on how much effort that you put in, you will make up Whatever you're supposed to make that year, you'll make. Now, I also have to make another, I don't know, star, another disclaimer. Many times and keep this also. There's a lot of things that throughout this class you have to keep like a few things in your mind. Not that it's a hard class, it's a very, very, I think, a straightforward class, but you have to keep a few things in mind, not that you don't fall off. That doesn't mean that you should be lazy and be like, well, you know, what's the point of working? Video game time. You know, like, or whatever, let me go shopping, or, or you know, and, and, and not do the work. That's not the way that I'm going. That doesn't mean that you're going to sit back and relax and do that because money is supposed to come. No, there's, ob- there's obviously a they you have to do, it, and then there's things that you're supposed to do with the time that you have left remaining. Somebody once came to Rav Shalom Shadron and asked him. He was a, I believe he was a tailor. I can't find that, I'm pretty sure it was a tailor. He goes and he was a successful tailor. And he goes and he says he wants to take on a partner. And Rav Shadron goes and says, uh, "How much are you making, you know, per month now by yourself without a partner?" So he says he's making uh, 300 lirot. As back then that was the currency. So he said 300 lirot. He says 300 lirot, Then how much do you think you'll make if you have a partner? So he says, I'll make probably about 600 lirot. So, you know, makes sense that I should get the, you know, pick a par- partner. So Rav someone goes in and says, Let me get, share with you a story from the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim, one time, had two brothers that came over to him. These brothers, they were uh, lumber dealers. And they would go and they would, they would, uh, lease out certain areas of forest, they would chop all the wood, and then they would go and use that wood to sell it, and then they would go and, and you know, try to buy other pieces of land and do the same thing. So they got this very, very large lucrative uh, you know, piece of land, and they started, they contracted with, and they started doing the work. And then came to them on their table another lucrative deal, a deal that would be even more lucrative than the one that they're having right now. But one brother goes and says, Let's jump in it. We'll, have, we'll make so much money, double the money over here. And the other one says, No, but we already have our hands full with this. You know, so they were going back and forth. Should we do it? Should we not do it? So they decide they're going to go to the Chafetz Chaim and say, Let's see what the Chafetz Chaim says. And whatever he says, that's what we're going to do. So they go over to the Chafetz Chaim and they explain the situation to them. It says, We have this business and we have this opportunity you know, should we go and branch out and go take more? One brother says, that, you know, we have the ability to do it. The other brother says, no, we don't. You know, we don't. It's, it's going to stretch us too thin. And they say, whatever the rabbi says, that's what we're going to do. So the rabbi goes and says, let me tell you a story. So it's a story within a story within a story. So the rabbi goes and says, there was once an innkeeper that had, uh, you know, barrels of wine that he would serve his guests and, or sell to his guests. And uh, he had a little spout the battle of the of the barrels in the basement, and when he he needed to fill up his pitchers, he filled it up, and then he brought it upstairs. One day he's teaching the son the business, and the son sees that he's you know opening the spout and taking out you know all this wine. So the son goes over to him and it says, you know, father, why don't you go? And he says, you, you have here so many pitchers, you know, we we need more wine. He says, make another spout over there, and then you'll get more wine. So the father goes to him and it says. While I will get more wine initially, but at the end of the day, I have the same amount of wine in these barrels. I'm not going to be able to get any more wine other than I have in the barrels. The Chavetz Chaim goes and says, you have a pipeline from Hashem. There is a certain amount of money that you're supposed to make this year. And you're opening up that, that you know, that spout, that spigot. You have that spout opened up. says, so now you want to go and you want to get somewhere else? You're not going to end up with more, says the Chavetz Chaim, than you are originally decreed to go and make on, on Rosh Hashanah. So the brothers said, fine, not a problem. We, we hear what the Rav is saying. They accepted it, and they went out. Later, they found out that there was another, their friend, competitor, whatever you want to call it, went and purchased that other property. And there were some issues with it, and they ended up going bankrupt from that, uh, you know, from, the, from that job. So we see over here that not always working smarter is going to be beneficial. Obviously, again, I'm a very big proponent that you should work smarter. You can hear me say that a lot, right? I have a big problem. But it doesn't always come to the, to the realization that you think it is. Also, what's also is so important is that you have people, and this is why, you know, business people give advice very differently from, let's say, what rabbis give advice. Business people give advice and be like, this is what I think, here you go. When somebody comes to a rabbi for advice, it's not only about what I think or what the person thinks and be like, okay, wait a minute, but how is that going to affect you what I'm going to say? Like if I'm going to say something, let's see somebody coming for business advice and they have this and I'll be like, no, you're not doing it right. Work smarter. No, stop working so hard. Work smarter. And the guy's like, I don't know what you want from me. I try. I'm not smart. Okay. Well, I don't know what you want. I've tried working smarter. It doesn't work. You know how bad someone feels when you go over to that business guy for advice and be like, no, you're work smarter, not harder. Thank you. You know, like I'll buy a bumper sticker with that, but what's that going to help me? I, I don't know. I can't. I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I'm not able to. You know, hire more people? So you always have to realize where, where, you know, where where it comes from and where it's standing. Just to say those words are very nice, but where the, you know, where's the fruit of the? Where's the fruit of that sentence? Where do you come? Where's the where's the labor that comes out of it? How do you reach to that? That's the device that you have to really focus on. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah goes. And says Gemara Rosh Hashanah page 17b goes and says that if the Jewish people were called let's say wicked on Rosh Hashanah, meaning that they weren't on a high level, and the decree was that they wouldn't make a lot over there. It's the Gemara speaking about rain. It's not going to rain a lot. Uh, meaning, so that obviously equates in the olden days, especially also people in the farmland, to panasa. Not a, more rain, more panasa. Less rain, less panasa. So I it said it, w- it wasn't supposed to rain. There was decreed that it wasn't supposed to rain. But what happens says the Gemara? If the Jewish people go and they do tshuva and they go and they repent and they become on a higher level, so you know what God is going to do? God is says the Gemara, God is going to take that same amount of rain. It's not going to make more rain. It's going to take the same amount of rain and make it rain at the right time in the right place meaning that he would take the same amount that was originally decreed for bad, that it wasn't such a successful year, but he can turn it to being a very successful year by utilizing and putting it in the right places. And it goes on the flip side also. You have somebody that was on a very high level on Rosh Hashanah, the Jews were a very high level, and it was decreed that they should have a tremendous amount of rain that year. But then they turned out to be more wicked, or more, or you know, less righteous than they need to be. So then, what Hakadosh Baruch is going to do is going to take that rain. The rain is supposed to come; it's going to come, but he's going to put it in bad times or in bad locations where it's not going to be as beneficial to the um, to the people. I Meaning, we there's a very, very huge lesson that you can learn from this: that whatever is decreed on Rosh Hashanah, that's what you're going to get. So, but if you're more righteous, Hashem can make that money go further. If you're wicked, that money can go a lot shorter. Now let me explain that. So, a few years back, there was a company called Dance Deals that uh, started up. I, I think, you know, after Bar Mitzvah, I think, right, you know, I think it's Jewish passage, right? They just, you know, get into dance. It like It's like every Jew knows about this. Like, I don't know. And if you don't, Mehak, there's Rahu bless you. <laughs> you should never need it. That's a very high level. But um, the, the, and I'll explain it like this. Bring it aside. I, was, I know somebody personally that they weren't making a lot of money and one year they come and they say they went I don't remember where it was they traveled around the world uh well, not around the world they went to three big vacations around the world it was three big vacations, but it was like europe i don't know it was like a few like big very very expensive you know vacations that ordinarily would cost you know tens of thousands of dollars and they weren't making a lot of money. And they explained to me the way they did it is that there was a price mistake in this, you know, flight. And back then, I don't know if they still do that nowadays, but back then you were able to get a price mistake. You are able to fly to Israel and they pay you $300, whatever it is. And you stop off in every single European country and whatever, you know, like they have the whole thing. You have to fly through Indonesia, you know, they had their ways to go and get like flights for like crazy, crazy cheap. So he said he bought that flight for like $300 and they went to him and his wife to some, some place in, in Europe, some like, very, like, uh, like Italy, Greece or one of those type of places and then the flight was delayed over there. So the, the, the airline offered him free vouchers for another flight. And then he used those free vouchers for another flight. And then something else happened on the third location where he was able to get another flight. So he paid like $300. He went around the world. And then he, he went to like three big cities. And then he had like, he got, figured out some point system where he got over here. He, didn't, he ended up paying like $1,000 and he went to something that would have cost maybe $75,000 vacation. So you see over here, you have somebody that goes. And it was decreed for them that they were supposed to make only, you know, X amount of money. And ordinarily, you know, that he would, that's what he was going to make. But whatever reason, Hashem said, let me take that money and let me show you how I can stretch that. That $1,000 can now be worth $75,000. And it doesn't only work with vacations. You have people that they go and they want to buy a house or they want to buy a car. And then they meet somebody and they find something and then there's a bank foreclosure, or there's a blah, 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 all different ways. And then they come out with a house, something that they would never ordinarily be able to afford. And HaKadosh made it made it work. So meanwhile, or on the flip side, you have somebody That works 16 jobs a day, right? With their 25 kids, they're able to somehow do the 16 jobs a day simultaneously, and they're making so much money, and they put all the money, and then finally they go. Why? Because they want to buy a house. And they finally buy the house, but they end up paying. Like $200,000 over what was, it was really worth. It. And they didn't, they didn't realize. And all that work that they just did just went into that where they could have gotten that same house for $200,000 less and they would have saved all the heartache for the other 16 jobs that they had in the past two years. So meaning that you have, we have plans. We have ideas that we're going to make X amount of money. But at the end of the day, Haggadah says, says that there's a certain amount of money you're going to make and that is what you're going to make. Your hishtadlut is not going to make a difference. Obviously you have to do hishtadlut. You need to do your effort. But more effort, and we have to first discuss what that means, it does not necessarily or always mean that you will make more money. The <clears throat> Ramchal goes and says, Misirat Yisharim, goes and says that you know the idea of working for a living before Adam HaRishon had the you know the sin of the Etzadas, there was, he didn't need to work. He had angels serving him on silver platters. He didn't need to work. Everything was done for him. After the, uh, after the sin, now there was a curse. Now, in the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to go and you have to work. So the, the reason we have to work, a lot of the, um, the way that the rabbis go explain it, it's, it's called a Tax. It's like a punishment. Like you have to pay a tax that you have to work. It's not like originally it wasn't meant to be that way. But you have to now go and, and pay this tax. But once you, the more that you're paying for the tax, you're not going to get more of whatever was originally decreed. Now if Shalem goes and explains this, imagine you have a guy that's a bus driver, and he brings his son to work one day, and he gives his son a wheel, like a fake wheel. And the son is sitting over there, and he's going, <laughs> you, know, you know, sitting over there making all the turns just like his father's doing. Is the son driving anything? His son is not doing anything. He's, not, he's just wise. The, the father is actually driving. And you know, my, my one of my one of my boys, they like you know you go to some of these um, large supermarkets. They have or not supermarkets, more like these superstores like Walmart or Home Depot or things like that. They have these wagons that you could that it, you have a steering wheel to it. And my son always loves going there. And he goes over there, and I see, when I turn, he quickly turns that way. <laughs> and when I turn the other way, he quickly turns the other way. Like, so he, in his, like, he knows that he's not doing it. Like, sometimes I play with him, I'm like, okay, you know, make sure you're not going to crash. So he, like, turns out, like, 7,000 times very quickly, and we, you know, we pretend to, you know, that, that he's doing it. But the bottom line is, he's not pushing anything. In fact, that, that wheel, you just keep on spinning, it's just going to keep on spinning for, it's not attached to nothing. So that's how it works with, with our effort. We're sitting and we're working, but meanwhile Hashem is pushing the cart and we're sitting there Be like, look, work smarter, not harder. I oiled this baby. Look how fast I can turn. And be like, that's really what we're doing over here. And again, you should work smarter, not harder. But at the end of the day, you think about it, be like, you're not going to make any more of what Hashem decreed. But you should still work smarter. one sentence that's going to stick in your mind. You know, Reb Shmuel Birnbaum goes and says, Rishon uh, Le'Yisrael was a Rosh Hashiva, a Mir uh, To be my Rosh when I was uh, in, uh, in 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 Mir To tell you, you see sometimes tzaddikim where you're like, I remember I was in the base matters, and I was walking past by where he was sitting. He never, he didn't sit in the front. He was sitting at, the, at that point in the back, and I was walking past by. He had like piercing blue eyes. I don't know if you ever see any pictures of Rishon Burma. And like sometimes you sit over there, and you, you know, like. He just like you know he's sitting and learning, and he looked up. I was, I was in base medicine. I was in twelfth grade, and he sits over there. He looks up, and I feel like he just like just like looked like right through me for a second. I was like, oh no, no oh. you know, like I sort of froze there for a second, and then I just like kept on walking. I was like I didn't even know you know what to do. Like he's talking about a topic of like a different generation. Really, really, literally, was a different generation. Rabbi Shul Brahma goes and says that, you know, you have people that ask questions, ask Shilohs about, the, you know, the estrog, is this, you know, the kosher, and then maybe it's more Mahudr, and then you have people that ask about mice or money, and how much you're supposed to do, and then about the lulub, and then you have about matzah, how much matzah you supposed to take, all these questions on shirim, on measurements, on how much you're supposed to do, and how much you're not supposed to do, uh, what are you supposed to take more, what are you supposed to not do less, and Roshul Brown goes and says, you know, there's, there's one thing in the entire life of a Jew that if he adds on more, if she adds on more, it's a total waste. Like, if you add on more to mitzvah, it's beneficial. You spend more time with the family, okay, so it's beneficial. But if you do one thing and you add on more, it's a total waste. And that is, if you do more Hishad Lut than you need to, total waste of time. It has no purpose, it doesn't come to any fruition, to any, any more money that you, would, that, you would, uh, that you would make. And the truth is, is that if you think about your own life, And I I tell you that about this personally and I can tell you also about it by speaking to a lot of people where you have people sometimes that they make less money than they were originally making at a certain point in time but somehow... The money just like, they were able to do so much more with the money. They were able to save. They were able to, it was like very, very weird. And then at sometimes they think that they're making some, money's come from all different directions, but they come at the end of the month and be like, wait a minute, how am I still, how am I in the negative? Like I should have been more in the, way in the positive. I mean, like, and then there's, you know, so the, it's so funny how when you come, and again, you have to look at the big picture for a second. You have to step back and you, you know, you, people think it'd be like, okay, you know what, I just got a promotion. I went to this job and I'm making $20,000 more, $30,000 more. And you think, okay, fine. That means that now I'm going to save another, you know, 1000 a month or whatever it is that you think after taxes you do all your calculation and that's what you're supposed to make and be saving but at the end of the day you're coming with an extra $75 I'd be like oh, what's going on like how does this work like where is the money going and people go and they start and you ask this the businessman what are they going to say checks and balances you're not doing the right checks and balances you know which again might be true <laughs> you know it might very well be true but also at the end of the day it's like you're supposed to make what you're supposed to make and I'm not saying don't take a promotion. I'm not saying don't get a better job. I'm not saying don't branch out your business. I'm not saying go and, and, and try to be as most successful as you can. You have to do your salute, But we have to realize that our effort doesn't equal our success. And again, I think the best way to explain this is by salespeople. Anybody that's been in sales ever can attest to this. It's not, it's not about how much effort you put in. You have somebody cold calling trying to make a deal for who knows how long. And he's nothing. Then you have a rookie over there that accidentally dialed the wrong number and end up selling the Empire Building. like I don't know, whatever it is Like it, it, things like that happen all the time in business, happen all the time to- uh, I shouldn't say like oh it never happened to me you know like it happens enough that there's enough stories about there alright, that, that's going around so the idea of working smarter not harder doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to come up on top it doesn't, you should do it but it doesn't necessarily mean that the Mechutah Rav, Rav Eliyahu Destler, goes and says that the way that we're supposed to go is we're stri, we're, we have to strive to be on the highest spiritual level as possible. Adam HaRishon, when he did this, said he lowered his spiritual level, and that's why he has a curse. We have to go, and we have to try to raise our spiritual level to a higher level. And once we raise that, we'll have to be. We have the. We have the. To be careful how I say it. The ability to do less and gain more. By raising the, the the spiritual aspect of it, and the way it works with bitachon and emunah, that the more emunah that you have, the less that you have to do, and, and this is the way that we explained it also previously on the idea of how do we know the balance. So it really all depends on it. Really all depends on you. But what God wants us, God wants us that we have to do, and the purpose of work is that we have to do work that. When we're making money, it, sh- it looks like it's coming in a natural manner, even though it's not, even though it's all manasheh But it has to look like it's coming from a natural area, a natural space, and that is that is the go- that is one of the reasons behind behind working, besides the curse of bezat but also for the fact that you have to go and you have to 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 show that it's not overt miracles. Hashem works in the natural way, and Rav Zutov Salam goes and explains. And says, you know, you just have to make money in a natural way. So you, says Rabzindo Salam, you know what, the natural way. He says, for me, if I go and I buy a lottery ticket, that's my Ishtar That's enough effort that I did. Says the Sefer Zabdesla. says, well, Rabzindo Salam could do that. And he's on that level that he could do that. says, it doesn't necessarily translate to us. We, can we really go and say, oh, yeah, we'll just do the minimum effort? Obviously, it's a tax. Why would I want to work more? It's a, it's a punishment. Well, I want, I'm going to give, give in to, to get more punishment? No. Let me work less. I'll go buy a lottery ticket. And then, you know, Shalom Aleichem, I'll wait for my, uh, for my windfall. Not necessarily. Depends on your level. The Chazanish goes and says that you have to be very, very careful on this. There's a very big danger on this mindset. And that is, so let's say you think that you're in a high level. And you'd be like, you know what? I did my Ishtadut. And I had, I had people, um, you know, where it comes up very, very frequent is when it comes to dating. So how much Ishtadut do I have to do? Very, very, how, what, like I spoke to Ashat Khan. I spoke to two Shatran. I spoke to three Shatran. How many what, do I need to speak to five? Where's the number? Where, like, how many am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to say yes to every single Like, where is the effort that needs to be done? So I, I, I've had some people that came over to me. I said, you know what? I sent my resume to one chatran. The boy will come knocking on my door. Or the girl will come knocking on my door with flowers. Say, hi, I'm your wife. When do you want to get married? I cook and clean. I do everything you want. I don't say a word, you know. And, you know, and the husband's going to come knocking on the door. I'll be like, I'm just going to give you... Presence, and I'm just going to compliment you. And here's 12 credit cards, you know, to work in every. We're going on vacation every other week, and don't worry, we're going to have 17 maids and a whole house of it, and, you know, I'm, I'm ready for you, you know, to let me know where you want me, and I'll sit quietly and wait. You know, and that's what we think. You know, my, this is, I, I sent my resume out there, it should be good, no? So it depends. It depends on your level. For certain people, yes, but for certain people, what happens if you go, explains the Chazanish, that you go and you do a little bit of the effort. You do the little effort, but then what happens if Chassidim start regretting and be like, "Wait a minute," says, maybe I should have done more. Maybe I should have done more effort. Maybe the reason why I'm not married. Maybe the reason why I'm not this wealthy. Maybe the reason I'm not X, Y, and Z. I'm not where I want to be is maybe because I should have done more effort. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I, I I I slacked off where I needed to go and put more effort into it. So what what, the, what is the problem with this? The problem is with this is that you're using your emunah, you're using your bitachon, and then you're going to utilize. You're imunah You're going to start regretting it, and you're going to start saying, and it's going to start making you doubt. Be like, wait a minute! But the rabbi said that if I do X, Y, and Z, I should get this, and I didn't. I did it, and I didn't get it. Ah, so what's going to be? I remember years ago, I speaking to the businessman uh, you're talking about must be fifty, no, fourteen years ago, and he goes and he says he takes a check. It was a, it was a guy coming in to collect money. And I was sitting with him, and he was he was explaining this to me. He's like, "This is what I'm going to do." He says, "I have so much in Munan b'tochon that God is going to make me a lot of money." That he post-dated a check for like three months for like a hundred grand, and the guy wasn't making paying bills. Like he wasn't even like it wasn't like he was close to that. It wasn't even close to that. And he gives a check post-dated for three months for a hundred grand. He's like, "You're going to see. I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars in maasel to give." You know, you know. So he, um, needless to say, he didn't. You know, he didn't even come close to that. It ain't close to that. So wh- why is that? If somebody was at a high level that would not be the and I didn't tell him back then, you know, yeah, whatever it is, I'm like, that's cool. Keep me posted. Like you know, like let me know if it works. Um, and he, you know. If, if if you have someone on a really, really high level, you have a gadol adol, he's going to write that check, guess what? That's going to be fulfilled. That's going to get cash somehow. Because yeah, if you're on that level, then you have the ability to go and do that. But if you're not on that level and you pretend to be on that level, there is very, very big repercussions for it. You're going to start regretting it. You're going to start doubting oh what the Chacharim are telling you. Oh, maybe it's it's not me. It's got to be them. Right? I'm American. Nothing is ever my fault. It's always the therapist's fault. You have a question? you really not attending. Oh, afterwards? Okay. No, oh, okay. So, so the, the Chasanesh goes and says, and that is, it brings us as a story. It says, one time there was a guy, Ruvain, and Ruvain was preaching about and and how important it is, and he had a very, very lucrative, very successful business, and it was easy for him to start screaming emuna and bittachon. It's very to say these things, to give these classes is very easy. To put it inside, that's where it gets difficult. But he was saying it, and he was speaking. He was like, "Yeah, hey, you got to have it Don't work too hard. Don't worry. Shadlu tax this. Don't do so much. Work smart, less hard, money more. No, less fishermen." He goes and he says, "Why are you working so hard? Look at me, I'm so successful." And then he goes and he says that. You know, a, a few few months go by, and all of a sudden, his competitor opens up a store right next to him. So, like, wait a minute, the munah b'tachon. i be like, okay. So inside, it starts off as a chazanish. It starts, you know, like thinking about it. Like, wait a minute, what's this guy doing? You know, like over here, he can't say out loud, "What are you doing over there?" He's a guy. He's a munah, Mr. B'tachon guy. You know, he can't. Uh, he can't go and start thinking, like, "Hey, you're gonna take away my business." And it starts off in his mind. And then as the guy is building the business and as the construction is going and he's starting to move in product, he starts calling his advisors and be like, what are we going to do with our competitor right over here? How are we going to get rid of it? And they start scheming and he starts, and all of a sudden, slowly, slowly, he comes out of the shell and he starts trying to sabotage his business and he starts to badmouth his business and he's trying to go, what happened to all the emunah and that was going on over there? The answer is, it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like real emunah and bitachon, it was outside, it was easy to say. He put himself on a level that he really wasn't there. When a munabitachon is easy, then you can start screaming dachon very easy. But what happens when the people are suffering, when people are going hard? And their people are going through difficult times. How do you, you can tell them It's very difficult to hear something like that. It's easy to say, but it's difficult to go and put into the in, inside. So it says the Chazanesh, this is, the, this is the, the careful balance that we have to have. We have to know where we're holding. It says on the flip side you had there was a slow march by the name of Reb Aaron David Kapilowitz. And he had a store in Petach Tikva. like you're talking about 60, 70 years ago. And uh, he went and he had he wasn't doing well. And he wasn't as successful, like like he was barely making a buy. And then he had a competitor that opened up right next to him. I don't know, a few doors down, right next to him. Same thing he had a supermarket, open up another supermarket. And the he goes over to the competitor and he welcomes him. He says, welcome to the community, welcome to the area. He says, if you ever need anything, please let me know. And the guy's like, wait. It was like, "Well, like, You know, like, what are you trying to do over here? And they're like, you know, you know, you're new to the area. Like, And he genuinely wanted to go and he wanted to help him. And then furthermore, he goes and he tells him, this is the level. He says, by the way, if you ever have a customer that comes into your store and he wants a certain product and you don't have it, tell him, wait one second and you'll go get it to him. And then you run to my store through the back. And if I have the product, I'll give it to you. you can, well, I'll sell it to you for like a cost. And then you're going to be able to, so you don't have to lose a customer. That is the level. Forget about the fact that he didn't go and he didn't try to go and, and sabotage him. He went and he tried to help him. And guess what? Do you think he lost any extra money? Absolutely not. You know, it would be nice, I don't know, the story doesn't end this way, the story should end, and then he opened up Amazon, you know, like whatever else. you know, like, or, uh, you know, and SpaceX, and now this is who he is, you know, it would be nice, I don't know, I, it might not be, it would be nice like that, but it might not be that he became a multi-billionaire. But he didn't lose the app, because whatever was the creed on al that's what he was going to make. And it was, what would be the smarter way to, to do the thing? It would be like, okay, no, let me not give him my old business, let me not share with him everything, my, oh, my, my secret of success, let me keep everything to myself. So, Abdesla goes and tells, you know, I'm almost done, so I guess we'll open up for the questions afterwards. Is that fine? Okay. So, Abdesla goes and sums this up. He says, we have to be very, very careful. That if one does excessive effort, this can deny Hashem's influence in your life. Why are you working so hard? But the flip side, if you do little effort, you might regret your previous decisions and you might fall, back, you know, you might fall low. So, Abdesla says, we have to be very careful and weigh our, our loot to the level that we are on. And if you are not sure where you're on, so obviously, figure that out you know look into yourself and try to figure out where you're holding, what do you tell how to where holding? There, so there's uh, there, I was thinking about speaking about it I decided not to because there's so many different parameters one of the ways that, that a lot of like that I've heard people speak about it, the way that they spoke about it is the way you give charities you can tell your level of the munah of, your, of where you're holding but again like th- there's, so, there's uh, the parameters and where you're holding it is very, very difficult to say because you're different in all areas. You could have a lot of emunah in health, let's say, and you'll never go to a doctor, which is wrong, but whatever. It's a separate thing. But in panasa, you'll still, not you, God forbid, somebody else, will go and you know, sketch and do all the different things. And then in shiduchim, you'll do in between. So like, where's your level? <laughs> you know, like, on one thing. So the truth of the matter is, your level probably is the lower one. Because the higher one, a lot of times people use emunah for laziness. And be like, okay, I want uh, to You know, like I have to work. Have, you know, like I'm okay. So a lot of times, it's an excuse for laziness. So you have to be really true to yourself. So you have to think. Generally speaking, it should be across the board, more or less the same. Obviously, it's always going to fluctuate. So if you want to know where, where your parameters are, try to figure out where you're in the most difficult area, and then figure out where your level of shtadlut, you know, is or are. And to also furthermore, if somebody hurts you, how do you respond to that? Are do you scream back? Like, you know, like, and you burst out, that someone steals, or you'll be like, wait a minute, this is from God. So you can also see from, not only from also the positive aspects of what you're doing, but also from the negative aspects and how you relate to your Menahem The Also, what is, what's also important to keep into mind is that you're supposed to do the normal level of Ishtadlut if you're like a very confused soul and you don't know where is what and what's where and, you know, where your level is, do what the normal level is. So the normal level, let's say for dating, it's not just going to one chatran; it's going to multiple Shatranim, get your name out there. And in fact, I tell people when they send me the resumes, I'm like, don't just send it, send it to me every few months or something like that. Because I take the resumes and then I send it out to whatever it is. So like this way, it's, it's not only, you get so many, unfortunately, there's so many singles out there that the Shatran I've seen so many different, you know, faces and pictures and, and uh, resumes that they, you know, that, first of all, they merge people together, uh, like, you know, like they start, like, figure out. But if you're constantly on top of the game and you're sending it, so it comes on top of the list. And by the way, somebody did that to me recently and I was able to send it over to somebody else. And then, oh, and I said to this particular Shatran, this person maybe four or five times. And then I just happen to send and be like, you know what? I just thought about something, and then we're trying to see if to make sure, see if it was going to work out. So there is an aspect to, you know, obviously doing the normal ishadlut of what other people are. What's the normal level of hishadlut? And also you have to put into your into your equation of where you're holding. The, there was a story with by the person by the name of Ablan Leon. And he came, he uh, immigrated from, in the late 1800s, from from Lebanon, and he goes and he's traveling from, he went to the United States, went to a few states, and then he ended up in, um, in Ontario, Canada, southern Ontario. And he went over there and he decided that he's going to start making money. How is he going to make money? He's going to go door to door and he's going to try to sell some, whatever he had. He had some pieces of clothing that he would sell, not his own, he bought clothing and he would sell pants, socks, shirts, door to door. And he ended up being a little bit successful. And then he ended up saving enough money to buy a small real estate, uh, you know, piece of real estate where he had the store on the bottom and his apartment on top, very small apartment. He had 11 children and he sat with his, you know, in that small apartment upstairs with his love, you know, 11 children. And he was selling, you know, whatever he got his hands on, houseware stuff, pots, pens, you know, different types of things, uh, you know, socks, you know, like whatever he got his hands on. And... One day, his wife goes to him and says, listen, says, I need, uh, we need a new mattress. You know, we've been sleeping on the same, you know, rickety mattress. We need a new mattress. Can you go get one? So he says, fine. He goes to the store, buys a mattress and has it delivered to his, um, you know, to his to his storefront and it's sitting over there in the storefront and he's going to wait his, for one of his kids to come home to help him schlep it all the way upstairs. So it's sitting in the store, leaning against the wall and a uh, customer walks in, wants to buy a few things, He's a mattress and he's like, how much is the mattress? And uh, he's like, no, the mattress is not for sale. And the guy's looking at the mattress, and he's like, are you sure? I'll, I'll buy the mattress. He's like, no, it's, not, it's my mattress. <laughs> you know, it's not for sale. So he's like, okay, fine. A few minutes go by, another guy walks into the door. I'd be like, how much for the mattress? I'd be like, no, the mattress is not for sale. And he looks at it, and he's like, I'm making up a number because I don't know. He says, I'll give you 200 Canadian dollars, which is, what is it, $2.50? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, kidding. I love Canadians. Um, he goes, and he says, I'll give you $200 for it. He says, $200. I paid $100 for it. Again, this is a long time ago, so it was like $1.50, whatever it is. Um, it was, he says, you going to give me, he, it was like double the amount of the money. He's like, okay, fine, sold. You know, like, I, you know, I'll just go out and buy another one tomorrow. So that evening, he locks up the store, he goes up to, to, to his house. The wife's like, where's the mattress? And he's like, I sold it. He's like, why you He's like, we need a mattress. Why you sell it? He's like, and he tells her what happened. He's like, I was in the store. One guy came in and wanted it. I said, no. Another guy came in. offered me double the money. What am I supposed to do? I'll go get another one tomorrow. And the wife's like, you know, maybe you should start selling mattresses. You know, like I was saying. And he's like, yeah, it's not a bad idea. And he went and he started selling mattresses and he ended up, you know, being successful. And he ended up going and he ended up branching off from that into that. To, as of today, Leon's Furniture has over 50 stores and they made, I was, uh, you know, uh, on the way over, I think it was 2019, they made 1.6 billion Canadian dollars net profit in 2019 or something like that. Which start and how did he branch out? Again, I'm sure he was working smarter, not harder, and I'm sure he was doing everything the right way. But how did he get into the furniture business? Because literally somebody came knocking on his door and says, I want to buy, and he said no. And God says, Okay, I'll send somebody else that. They're like knocking on his door. I was like, I want to buy. He's like, okay, fine. Like like the ideas literally just came to him. It wasn't like, oh, I had a good idea and I branched out. No. God went send someone knocking on your door and says, I want to make you, you know, like, here's some money, give me this thing. You know, for like, double what you're paying for. This is the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu works. When we see that, we realize that it's not our effort. It's not about how much smarts we have or how much effort we put in. It's all about what was the creed on Rosh Hashanah. The Rav Nachman of Breslov goes and says it was also a very famous story. Usually our knockman stories are pretty famous. Um, uh, it, was, it was once two brothers who were very, very successful. They lived across the street from each other. One was a very, very big giver. Another one was a very, you know, miser. He would not give anything to anybody. And there was a poor guy traveling through town. And he's traveling through town, and he goes and he asks for, and, where can I get a meal? And they point him and says, there's a, you know, there's a certain house on that block. If you go over there, they give you, uh, they'll give you a meal. Uh, without, you know, like... A hot meal with like a whole, you know, the whole shebang. And he's fine. He goes and he knocks on the door, but he accidentally he knocks on the brother's door, the miser, not the one that always gives. And he says, you know, is there a place where I could go and I could get a you know a warm meal around here? I was told to come to this area. And he's like, yeah, you can get a warm meal, but uh, you have to earn it. And he says, okay, well, what do you want to do? He says, listen, I have a bunch of stuff in my basement. I need to be reorganized. He says, you do a little bit of work, you know, I'll, I'll get you the meal. And he says, hey, what are you going to do? You need some work. So he gets into his basement and he starts organizing his boxes. And then he goes and he says, okay, can I get the meal? He's like, wait a second." He says, in the attic, I have some stuff that needs to be moved to the basement. And he says, oh, you know, okay, fine. He goes to the attic and he starts schlepping stuff and he's like, he's like sweating. And he's like thinking, okay, fine, I'll get maybe a meal out of this. And the guy says, you know, I have a bush in the back that I want to move to the front. Can you do me a favor? Here's a shovel. It's not so heavy. Just dig around it. Make sure you don't cut the roots and move it to the front. And the guy's like this He's, like, falling, he's, like, plotting, he's, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll try, you know, and he's sitting over there, and he's, like, shaking already with his blood sugar going low, and he moves the bush to the front of the house, and then the guy, he goes in, he says, can I please have the meal now, and the guy says, you know, I want to move my front of the house to the back of the house, I need to, like, do some things, and the guy says, please, I can't do it anymore, says, he says, you know what, okay, fine, you worked hard, you deserve it, he says, you go across the street, knock on the door, they'll give you a free meal, and he goes, okay, fine, he goes, and he, across the street, knocks on the door, and he says, hi, I, you know, I'm here to get the, the meal." And the guy says, yeah, of course. And he goes and he puts him down by the table, gives him, you know, he gives him a little bit of soup and then gives him a little chicken, a little bit of salad, uh, you know, a little bit of rice. And the guy finishes eating and he's like, you know, he's like, I just worked for like six hours. So he's like, we're, you know, he's like, is this all I'm getting? And the guy and the owner of the house goes, what do you mean this is all you're getting? I just, I just gave you a meal. So I just worked six hours and this is all that you're me? I mean, I'm grateful for it, but, you know, Six hours? The guy says, what do, you, what do you mean working six hours? He says, I was just across the street. I moved the entire guys upstairs to downstairs and downstairs to upstairs. Then I made Pesach cleaning for him. And then I moved some trees for him also. It's like, you know, like, and I'm, I thought I'd be getting who knows what to of meal. And the guy starts laughing. And he's like, I'm sorry, then I'm laughing. He says, but no, but that's my brother. He's like, you, I would have given you a free meal without that help. You just went, knocked on the wrong door. He says, you just happened to come. Says, if you would have came over here, you know, you would have gotten the free meal otherwise, you know, without it. That's the way it works with our efforts. We go and we, we put so much effort and we're sweating and we're fixing upstairs and we're fixing downstairs, and we're moving backwards uh, up, and we're moving everything around and finally we say, okay, this is what I made of I said, wait a minute. He says, even without all that, you would have made the money anyways. You would have ma- it was coming to you anyways. All you had to do was knock on the door and say a few prayers you know, and do a little bit of Ishtad Lutha, and that would be coming to you. He says, we have to realize that our efforts... While it is very, very important, and you need to do our hachishadlut, and we need to do our effort, it doesn't equal in how much money we're going to make. It doesn't mean that because we're going to work harder, because we're going to work smarter, we're going to make more. But yes, you should work smarter, and you should not work harder. It's getting a little bit late. I have a little bit more. We'll Let's save it for a different time. We'll finish off with a little bit of a recap, and the, the, the really important aspect over here. Is the aspect? So how much at the bottom at the end of the day, how much effort do I need to do? How much effort do I need to do? So I know that I have to do some effort. I know that I have some some requirements I need to do. But then how much? The answer is it all depends on where you're holding in your life. But when it comes to money, you're really supposed to do the least effort possible. Oh, without being lazy. Oh, that's like I had to like throw that in very quickly. The least effort possible. you're like, okay, fine. I just you have to do the least effort possible. Meaning that if let's say. Let's use a, a little bit of visuals. So let's say up to here is where your effort is. And up to here is your other... This is your lowest part of your ishtadut in other areas, and this is your highest part of your ishtadut. When it comes to money, you're supposed to do the lowest effort possible. Why? Because it's a tax. It's not something that, you, it's not something that you're, you're going to gain more by doing more. But at the same point in time, while we have to do the least possible, we also have to realize that we have to do our effort. We have to do, and it doesn't mean that being lazy... And it doesn't mean because at the end of the day, whatever effort we put in, we're going to be making what we need to make. But that also depends on what you do with the remaining of your time. So you're going and you're doing the least effort possible, but then what? Are you taking care of your family? Are you helping? Are you doing doing Are you learning Torah? What, what is going on with the le- now? You did less effort, so now what? Now what are you gating from that? So now you're going to go and fish on the beach? Like where? Where are you going from here? So yes, you're supposed to do effort. You have to do ishtadut. No question asked. We are required to do ishtadut. It depends on your level. You're on Rav, Rav Zindel Salon, so then you're buying a lottery ticket and you're good. But if you're not, then you have to do an effort, enough effort that you're not going to regret it. And it's not going to come to a a point where you're like, wait, maybe I should have done more. Because if you should have done more, that means you weren't on that level that you thought that you were. And that's why you have to look across the board of where you're holding. And that's what you're supposed to do it. But of course, if you have the ability to go and work smarter and not harder, you should for sure do that. For sure. Because at the end of the day, this is really doing less effort by just using your brain a little bit and doing that but if you're in a situation where you're like I can't like I've tried to work smart I, this is all that I have don't worry you know Hashem knows how to send you the money and if it's meant to be that someone's gonna come knocking on your door and says hey by the way could I buy your mattress and the next thing that you know it you're sleepies or whatever it is <laughs> we'll open up if there's any questions yeah um Prayer is so. That's a good question. So, is prayer considered the Prayer definitely needs to be part of the shalut aspect of it, for sure. For sure, it has to be part of it. Because, like, on a
2: certain degree, if someone says, like, "Oh, how did you get that job?" They're saying that, like, you prayed for it. Yeah, it's a good one. Is it like? Because a lot of times, like, I'll, I'll, you know, someone will tell me something, be like, "I, like, like, why did you get it?" Like, yeah, obviously, Hashem is always the ultimate answer. But if I say I prayed for it, is that sort of giving yeah. myself credit?
1: No, not at all. I think that's a great answer. In fact, if somebody, what I think people should go and be like, so what do you do for a living? You should say, I pray. I do on this side. I happen to work also, but I pray. That's where I make my money. You know, like, at the end of the day, after the Shbrachu gives us things for a prayer. Oh, you're going to ask me then you have people that, you know, that never prayed ever and they're making a certain amount of money? It was actually a different, I had something that I wanted to speak about that, but that's for a whole other topic. It, just because they're making money, it doesn't mean, just like, it's the same idea that you have where money goes a long way. So you have somebody that's making a ton of money. It doesn't. What are they going to do with the money? I'll mm. give you an example like this. Let's say somebody goes, and they were decreed yeah. that they were supposed to make $50,000 that year. And they worked hard, and they worked smart, or not hard, whatever it was, and they made $150,000 that year. So that money now is in their bank. They have $150,000. Now they're going to go, and they're, what, what is Hashem going to do? You could, you know, the rabbi is going to tell us, you could put extra money in your bank. That is possible. You could make extra money. But your net income at the end of the year is going to be what you need to what it's supposed to have. So you can put $150,000, but then you're going to go and somebody's going to come to you and be like, you know what? Why don't you go and invest in this, you know, cryptocurrency is going up, go do this, invest in this, and then you go and you invest in that and you end up losing, you know, God forbid, all of it. So where did you end up with? You, had, you thought you had, you had people that go, they make a lot of money, and then where do they go? And I'll give you another example. Let's say somebody goes and... Uh, This is a good example, I think. Uh, Yeah, that's a good one. You have, imagine you have a worker that's very, very frugal. And they go and they make, let's say they make $70,000 a year. And they take and they live on the beer minimum. And they save all the money that they could, as much as they can. They live in somebody else's basement while renting their parents' bedroom that they used to live by. They're doing everything the most frugal way possible. And they're putting money on the side. And then eventually they have enough money and they invest in like a small real estate, you know, deal. And then they take that and they, you know, fix it up and then they flip it and they make a little bit more money. And then they get, and they're living in the basement still, and then they go and they buy a, another, another property. And they do this again and again, all while working at the 70000 never taking a penny extra out of pocket. And they're doing this again and again after like 10 years. Finally, they accumulate enough, enough money that they're able to buy the first building. And they're so excited, and he buys his first building. And, you know, it's like a six-unit building, whatever it is, small building, but at least it's a building and they're going and now he's living off the rent the you know the rent for all he's really living off all the money that's coming in and he's paying off the mortgage and he's still living in the basement now in the basement of the building next to the washing machine behind the door of it he goes over there and he starts putting a little bit more money on the side and then it go eventually they go and he flips this building and it buys another two buildings and slowly slowly after 20 years still living in that basement and he has like five six buildings to his name and he says you know what i worked hard enough i worked so hard he says you know what I'm gonna go. I'm gonna retire. 40 years old. Worked, you know, 20, you know, 15 years very hard. Says I'm gonna retire. He goes and he sells the buildings, and he decides he's gonna go and invest the money, and he's gonna go and relax now. So he goes and he calls his broker and be like, you know, where can I invest the money that it's a, you know, safe thing that's gonna, you know, provide me with dividends. So he said, listen, you know, there's a guy that's been, you know, crazy I'm around town, everybody's been running to him, he's making crazy returns, um, I strongly recommend it. be like, for sure, like, what's his name? His name is Bernie. He's it's, it's like, it's like, you know, why don't you go and, you know, invest the, you know, in him? Be like, well, wow, everyone's running, they must be doing the research, right? Alright, let's sign me up. He goes and invests all his money that has been working for all these years to, to that. And then after all that, a year goes by, and all of a sudden, he hears the news that he lost everything. He lost everything. And now he's sitting over there. He's like, wait a minute, I'm still living in the basement. And he's, now he's what? He's going, and he's going back to work for that $70,000 a year. Oh, wow. So you have people that they make so much money, but how much do they use? How much can they actually use? It doesn't. Whatever was decreed, you could put more money in the bank, but it doesn't mean that you're going to actually get to use it. And I can tell you how many people I've seen that are crazy, crazy wealthy. And again, I probably only give them. I, I want everybody to only have a tremendous amount. But they're so stingy with their money, they can't use. Like, they can't. It's like it's like impossible for them. So really, you have someone here that made fifty million dollars one year, and then you have somebody else that made a hundred thousand dollars that year. The guy who made fifty million dollars only used seventy thousand dollars. The guy that made a hundred thousand dollars used a hundred thousand dollars that year. So who made more money at the end of the day? There's more money in the bank. Because they work smart, not hard, and they know what they're doing. They go and they build. But at the end of the day, if whatever is supposed to be the creed, that's what you're supposed to get. So you have people that, yeah, maybe they, they don't do what they're supposed to. And this rock gives them, you know, a lot of a lot of wealth. And it could be for numerous different reasons. It could be for previous life. It could be for future. Whatever it is, it could be for many, many different reasons. But just because somebody's making a lot of money doesn't necessarily equal to actually being able to utilize that money. It doesn't necessarily mean that you could be able to enjoy that money. Just because it's in the bank, it doesn't mean that it's going to come into your pocket. I think that answered your question. Oh, was like a long... My friend knows about prayer. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so, but, so, saying that I prayed for it, is it sort of taking credit in
1: a way? No, you should say that you prayed for it. First of all, help other people start praying. Be like, wait a minute, maybe I should start praying for it. Right. I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. If you th- yeah, you should say pray. So, yeah. also, So, that really, the, uh, the, the the purpose of the whole series of Emunah and Bidahun is very different than my other classes, and that is, I I, I really dislike repeating stories and repeating ideas, even though that, I, you know, as more I'm speaking, I realize that there's something that's so important that I, I want to repeat them more, and originally I really didn't want to. But there's something different with Emunah and Bidahun, that there is a, a need to constantly repeat certain ideas, because... It's, you have to ingrain it. It's not something that it's just intellectual. It has to be emotional. It has to be part of you. Meaning that you could immo- intellectually understand, be like, you know what, well, Hashem is X Y and Z, and Hashem is going to take care of me, and blah blah, all the all the good stuff. But if it's not in your heart and you don't actually feel that, then where is that? You're a That's the fake abunavidehahan. That's a man that's only partially in you, not fully within you. So if you want to grow in a monabedachon, it's something that you have to really internalize. Really, really internalize. And after you learn something, a monabedachon and be like, okay, how am I going to internalize it and make that real in my life? It's something that you have to take and constantly review, constantly learn again and again. And that's why there are certain rabbis out there that all they speak about in almost all their classes is a monabedachon. They won't call it a They will call it parasha, they will call this, but it's always put into, uh, a and there's many people that even I could tell you that it doesn't, they, you don't, you don't even think about it, but un, until you listen to the class and be like, wait a minute, there's a lot of in there, I'll give you, I'll give, I'll give you one example of official shachter, unbelievable, yeah I strongly recommend official shachter um, and when you listen to his shirin, you realize that a lot of the underlining messages that he brings out, is not always, but many, many times, it's a munah b'tachon. It's a munah, but it, 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 it's something that you constantly need to like drive into your heart. It's not something that so th- that way you keep on growing and growing in it, and slowly, slowly, it will, it will materialize into your own physical life. But it's something that it has to be like it's a constant work.
2: Um, can I add a comment? So regarding a munah, the best thing to do is space repetition and get into your subconscious. So just pick a series that you like. Uh, Rabbi Zitron, Rabbi, whichever, Rabbi Asher, whatever it is, and just keep on playing it again, and again, and again. Even in the background, even while you're doing something, then
1: it slowly enters your subconscious you have a with that working. Yeah, I know, I happen to agree with that. <laughs> I Even even for like, for example, Rabbi David Asher's book, Living in Muna. I put... I just got the fifth one together with
2: the Midasher. So <laughs> oh yeah?
1: Okay, good. That is something, the reason why I like that so much, it's a daily lesson that it gives you time to internalize the lesson. When I first started speaking, I used to have like a ton of information I used to put into the, into the, into the classes. Like like now, let's say my notes are about 10 pages per class or four, it used to be 20 to 30 pages per class. And that's back when I was speaking also a little faster. Now, if you think I'm speaking fast now, this is a slow level. And I had a lot of comments that people came to me and said, you know, there's so much information that I, I don't know what to leave with. And I was like, you know what, that's. That's brilliant. I, I didn't even... Like, I was all about, okay, let's give the information and then you can do whatever you want with it. But there is an aspect of, like, taking a shear and then leaving with something. So sometimes, like, you know, you could stuff a lot of material to a but then what are you leaving with? There's just, like, overflow of information and you don't know where to leave and and what to get out of it. So what, what I like about it, David Asher's, uh, you know, Book of Living in Munah, you take... It's it's a daily lesson. So you have the ability. It's a small lesson and then you can, like, okay, now how am I going to internalize that? How am I going to, you know Bring that into my own in my own life, and the truth of the matter is, like one of the reasons why I think the daily dose, for example, that Torah anytime does, which if you don't know what you're, if you don't have it, you don't know what you're missing. It's amazing. It's every day there's a there's a little clip that comes out from different speakers on Torah anytime that goes and like two minutes, like just like a I don't know, inspirational, whatever it is, a burst of like Torah. And the reason, like at first, like wait, what can you get from such a short? Speech. It's, it's even like a clip, and you could really gain a lot from it because you could get a small lesson. And if you don't know the lesson, they did something brilliant. They told you what the lesson is at the end. They put it in words to be like, "This is the lesson that you're going to come out, you know, from from this little yeah, clip." The and they put a link also to it, of course. So, so you have it, it's something that you could take something small and be like, "Okay, now let me internalize that." The biggest problem I think that it has with growth, uh, or the biggest blockage that we have with growth, is that we we have the information. And we understand it, but we don't internalize it. So there's very uh, when I was when I first started speaking, uh, you know, this is you know with my guys talking about 11 years ago. I used to always one of the things that we tried. We didn't do that often. Is you know to go around the room after like we used to speak for a long time, go around the room and be like, okay, so what did what are you taking out from today? Like what did you hear like from it? And you know like some people are spacing and be like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> what, what what day is today? Like where am I? Uh, but if you could just figure out what, and it's so interesting because you have different people that take out from one class completely different things. Like I'm like you know, and it's inspirational. To be like, wait a minute, like I don't even think of like, yeah, it's like how do you even get to that? Like inspirational, the fish, the bait, that oh dead, the Gemanak gonna live forever. Oh fine, so now I'm gonna have to go and Tchiasa and Mashiach, and then you're back to you know how the mind works, right? You start off with a business idea. Before you walk out the door, you're already a multi-billionaire to know what to do with your money. So that, the same, the, you know, the same concept is: you have to go and you have to figure out. You have to take something and really internalize it. It's all about the internalization. You can listen to classes from today until tomorrow like a thousand times. If you don't internalize the idea, if you don't internalize the topic, there's very little that you've gained from that. Obviously, learning to is a lot, you gained a lot, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that with uh, Panasa,
2: it's you have to do the lowest. Love,
1: but I've heard that with other things also like I've heard and you do do anything at all. Yeah, I have a Right, so somebody once... So, who was it? The king
2: whose daughter was in the tower yeah, and so, yeah. the bird and came. The came and he
0: dropped off the guy. Like I've heard Shadop and you definitely
1: don't have to do anything at all. So, I, so I've So i heard if somebody once came and told me that I was on the phone oh, I do not remember where this was. I gave a class at certain uh, or girls' organization and they said I said I gave a class on the Elisha like, Luba but they said ah, oh, bah ba this rabbi said that you're not supposed to do any, you don't need to do any effort whatsoever. And I was like, okay, that may be true, but I haven't seen a source for that yet. I haven't seen a, a source that's, where does it say that for his, for Shiduchim you don't have to do any any uh, any Shiduchim whatsoever. The uh, story is not a source. No, no,
2: but it was a, it's a real, where was the source? It
1: was I sh- don't know where it was a source. I It's Shlomo Hamad Sadr. That's
2: what I thought. Yeah, I think. Was was
0: the idea... It's like water, not like a, Yesterday.
1: Right. So, again, so we're, where is that true if you're on that level? So, if you're on that level, yes, somebody, you don't have to do any effort. But to, to, <laughs> but if you're not on that type of level, then of course you have to do Ishtadut. We're required to do our Ishtadut. So, also, why, why would it be different on that, let's say, versus, um, I don't know, health? The biggest Gdolim, they, you know, they go see doctors. So, why is because it's a tax, it's a, it's like a, it was a, it was a punishment. Wow. So they, they this is a, by the way there's a lot of different opinions when you're dealing with how much it is. I, I gave you uh, you know I didn't list both the opposing opinions. I sort of put it all together, but there is opinions that say no you're supposed to do the really the, the you know the least on it. Um, the, but at the end of the day you have to do that while realizing where you're holding. Because if you do too little, it can really backfire really badly to you. That means that you could end up regretting everything and falling spiritually very, very bad because you think... You know how when someone's... Let's say they, they think they're getting something, so they do something, and then it doesn't come through, then they're like, okay, so then there's something wrong with this, not with me. So, yeah?
0: It was not like a very dumb question, but I feel like I've come across it so many times. How can you tell a difference between, like, you feeling at peace with, like, like, you're shadow like, okay, I did enough, and between laziness. You know, like... Being like, okay, I went to this shotgun, this shotgun, this shotgun, and I did enough, and I did my shadow, and I'm saying that small tequila on the back of my seat door, like, every day, and like, okay, I did enough, but like, how do you know if you're doing enough, or you're just like, mm-hmm. okay, i Like, honestly, like, right. I feel like, like, so many people can relate to this, that like, you go through a phase of like, you do so much, and you really have them now, and you're waiting, like, anxiously, and you really believe it in your heart, like, you're really, like, this guy that wrote all check, I don't know. You really believed it, but like you really believed that Hashem would take care of me, everything. And then when you are kind of just waiting it out, it's like okay, whatever.
1: So, so when if you're if you have a level of munah and then all of a sudden you're starting to like double think it, then you have to realize your level of munah is not there. If you, right, so how do you
0: know if you're pretending you're an or you're practicing
1: it? That's very hard because that's where somebody has to really go and ask themselves the serious question of who am I and where am I holding? Because no
0: one wants to
1: have less than an right, have Right, right, right. So, like, are you practicing it or are you just. Like, so, most of the time in those cases, it's it's not. If you really believe in it, then you're not going to have doubts. If you're already having doubts, and you're not on that level. So when what are you supposed to do? So then are you supposed to do more shadud to work on your munah? That's really the, really the question.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So that's not really, the emuna is for the emunah itself, not for the result. If you're doing it for the result, then you're doing it as sort of like a shortcut to get to where you want to get. So so really, so what you're doing is you're using emunah, that really is using it kind of towards laziness. But then you're doing Shadud. You are going to, you know, doing whatever it is, whether it's work, whether it's yiduchim, whatever it is that you're doing. So the... the Real reason—the real answer is, is that, that and this is what happens when people come and they ask me these types of questions. I'm not talking about you. Let someone calls me up. they like, "Okay, so I did X, Y, and Z. Do I need to do more?" So most of the times, I could pretty much figure out that if, by them asking the question, they're not on the level. That if they thought they would have done enough, they wouldn't have asked me the question. So if they're asking me the question, that means they don't feel like they didn't do enough. They didn't feel like they did enough. So then, yeah, do a little bit more. I
0: feel, I feel like people with like a really growth mind, like growth mindset, are always wondering if they're doing enough. Like, am I getting right. close enough? I, so then I, like, I'm always like that. Like did I take on enough? Am I getting closer to right. am, am, like did I just go on like a spiritual break for a month? Like, when, like am so, i like, so
1: yeah, so that this is where it becomes like I'll tell you the extreme of it. The extreme of it is where people get anxious, they have anxiety from like certain things of like, well, okay, I, I did this but maybe I need to do more. It, it becomes almost a level of O C D. To to certain people, and that's where it's like okay, so that's when at the level that it's unhealthy. So you have to also realize, and that's something that that each one needs to speak. Because I've had cases where people came with me and be like, no, 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 that's too much. Like you're you're that that's becoming too obsessive with about it. You have to take a step back because you're doing. And I don't want to give an example just because it's a bad you know, people are just going to take it the wrong way. But there is, so you have to take a step back from from this, and you have to focus maybe on, on a different area.
0: I'm not saying too much, but I'm saying there is that kind of pressure where they say, like, life is like a bicycle without pedaling and falling. So, like, there is that pressure where sometimes, and I feel it, like, if I'm not working on myself constantly, I'll find myself just wandering around, so like, wait, why am I doing that? Like,
1: well, no, that's I'm a good thinking. thing. You're talking about growing spiritually? And, yeah, that's what I'm Oh, that's about. perfect. That's not right. a bad thing. So
0: I'm saying how to, like, this is my question of, like, P- we're constantly growing and like getting like I-, I have this thing where I'm like okay like am am I doing enough? Am I getting closer? Did I like I, I don't know? Was there like a
1: play? Like- I think I misunderstood the question. So you're saying are you doing enough spiritually, not physically? No, not physically. Oh, not I was answering spiritually. Physically. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. So so you're, the question is how did I know how if I'm doing enough in the yeah. spiritual growth? Yeah. The the one of the things. So there was a. Uh, who said this, Mashal? I don't remember who said this, Mashal. There was once a, um, maybe I heard it from Daniel by Glad- Rabbi Daniel Galatian, if I'm not mistaken. There was once a princess, and she got captured by her, um, by kidnappers and the guy you know captured this princess and he's like oh and he, and he fell madly in love with this princess so he's like you know what instead of like waiting for the ransom he goes inside he's gonna make her a beautiful meal and he takes a potato that's been you know rotting for like six months and he scoops out all the mold and he gives her this like amazing potato that he's been saving and he's like here my dear princess and she looks at it she like gags it almost throws up and he's like you don't like it and, he, and she's, he's like okay maybe you know i'll give you some music or use some music so he takes a bunch of utensils of pots and pans and he starts like clapping them together, throwing them against the wall, like trying to make drums and music. And she's like, what are you doing? Like, I, you know, it's, you know you can't, you, this is ridiculous. And then he goes and says, okay, you know, you want to, maybe I'll give you some furniture. And he says, I just carved this out of, you know, the, the whole tree trunk just for you. It's a whole like lounge chair. And he basically makes her sit on this chair. Meanwhile, there's splinters going in all directions of her. Then she jumps up screaming. He's like, what do you want from me? And he's like, I don't understand. I'm giving you all the best things in life. How come you're not happy? This is all the best things that he had. He was a poor guy. This is all that he had. The nimshal the, is we go into this world. And we try to feed our neshama. And we go and be like, okay, fine, you know what, we'll be successful, we'll make a lot of money. But we're still striving for more, why are we not happy? You know, maybe because we need good food, maybe because we need, uh, you know, good vacations. And we're always striving for more. Human being is always striving for more. If somebody feeds a human being the most delicious meal possible, they go for an all-you-can-eat, you know, buffet, whatever it is, on the reserve cut. What happens when somebody finishes eating that meal? And they're full. They want nothing more than to be empty again, and so they can eat more. They want to throw up, or whatever it is, so they can eat more, and they can just gain more, and eat more. Why? Why is that? A human, why is a human being never satisfied? An uh, animal can be satisfied. You feed a, a lion, or whatever it is, food, the second they're full, they're not killing other, unless they're a little bit, whatever, they're not killing other things just for fun. They're, they're full, they're done, they're good. And you see, sometimes in the you know, zoo, you have animals over there that are wild, and you have other animals that are walking past by, no harm, no foul, you know, no one touching. How does it work? Why is it that animals can be satisfied and human beings are always striving for more? And the answer is because human beings have a special neshama, and the stu- neshama keeps on pulling you. That no, you, you should never feel satisfied of where you're holding, because that's the way that you're going to keep on striving for more. And that's why the prince was trying to the. the the kidnapper, was trying to give it the princess, let me give you some of some this temptation. He's like, no, that doesn't even take, like I'm a princess. You know what I mean? I come from the palace. You give me a rotten potato? So we give our body, here's this pleasure. And we're like, are you kidding me? I come from the palace over there. I'm a prince. I'm a princess. I have over here, I'm going to take this, this disgusting pleasure. I'm not going to feel satisfied by it. And we try to, reach our satisfaction and our desires by different areas of our of our, of our our life and we realize that we're coming short. Why am I still lacking? And the answer is because we're ingrained in us that we should always feel that we're lacking because that's the way that we're going to be able to grow. If you feel you're good, then you're in trouble.
0: I'm saying that's where, that, that's where the question holds, I think. Do we make up for that lacking with, with spiritually, with, with like no. mentally doing or physically doing? Like, for me, it's like, okay, if I'm if, right, we're constantly like, wanting more to do more and be more successful like so I'm doing more I'm dabbing more saying more to healing like doing all this stuff but am I doing the wrong things and instead I should be working like should I be filling up that lacking space with like mental level, not like okay like like you want to hear my question yeah I hear your it question it it's work?
1: both it should be it should be both so let's say somebody goes and is praying for something and they prayed a prayer, and they're like, okay, I prayed already, so then I'm good. And they have, they went out there, whatever it is that they're supposed to get it. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to stop praying. Mm-hmm. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't pray once and said, okay, fine, I did my shalut, and Hashem knows what I want, and I'll take it back. Moshe Rabbeinu prayed 515 times until he went to Allah, because and Hashem says, no, stop. Don't do it. And Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't someone who had a little emunah. Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to God. Mm-hmm. Moshe Rabbeinu was in Shemaim, but yet he kept on praying. He kept on praying. So we are, at one point, supposed to keep on praying, but at the same point in time we are supposed to, you know, so it's, the answer is not like one or the other, it's really both. Think, yes. It's, yeah, it's, it's, you can't use one against the other, but use them both to grow together. But sometimes, if you feel like you're exhausting yourself to the point that you can't anymore, then you realize that really the part is more of the emunah as opposed to the doing. So it really depends on the personal area of where you're holding. Right. But but again, you can't use one against the other. Right. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I have a question. Um, if you're decreed to make a certain amount of like money on Rosh Hashanah, how is it that to work in terms of like raising the amount of money that was already decreed? Like I understand that there's the, 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 you can make it to have it perfectly at the right time instead of, oh, not having it at the right times. But how is it that are able
1: to make the money that was already decreed increase to so it, right so the the money that you're supposed to get that's what you're supposed to get so the way that skoolot works is a whole different class on what is a skoolot and how it actually works so it's a magic eight ball that just you roll it down and it's going to go but the, but the the real so there's two aspects that we have to think about the one aspect is is let's say you do a skulah, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll make money the next day. Sometimes, yeah. Maybe it could be for next year because we know that we get judged from, the, you know, from previous years. So, but that's number one. Number two, skulah could be certain, like, a certain idea of like prayer. When you go, when you pray for, you, there is, like a Kedush who went that decree that you're supposed to make a certain amount of money. But in order to make that money, we, we spoke about the physical level of hishtadlut, there's also a spiritual level of hishtadlut, which we spoke about in one of the, I think in the beginning class of Emunah, that you're supposed to do prayer. You're supposed to actually pray as part of the, of the hishtadlut that you need to do. So in order for you to get what you need to get, there is some spiritual work that needs to be done. That what equals, so skula sometimes gives you that spiritual hishtadlut of what you need to, and can it make it more, it could, the way that we could explain it is that it can make your money go further in that aspect.
2: Also, um, because I know the acronym um, for Tishrei includes like, Also, like you know how like everything's for Tishrei includes Tishrei, like the whole Yom Tov and Torah and stuff like that. Like the, there's an acronym for Tishrei? Oh, that's interesting. No, I, know. I mean like, like, you know, it, I don't remember where it's from, but like it says like apparently like everything for from Tishrei except Tishrei and that itself has like the the top is for Torah, the Shin is for Shabbat, the range is for something like that. Okay. I want um, to ask if, does tzedakah, um exclude it from your baseline parnassah? In the sense that, like, if you give Tzedakah, does that take away from your parnassah?
1: Oh, okay, fine. You so if, no. So if you go, so it really depends also on how much you give. So that's why you're supposed to give, let's say, a 10%. Mm-hmm. What about a chomish, a, f- a fifth of which is 20%. So Can somebody give a 20%? Obviously, 20% is much better. But let's say somebody goes, so you have 10% and then you have 20%. But then you have, what about if somebody wants to go give 50%? So, does that mean if they give 50%, are they not going to get that money back? You know, for, and and in a certain sense, possibly, because we're not God and we don't know the whole calculation. But the way that it's supposed to be, you shouldn't spread yourself too thin that you're not going to be able to survive by just giving everything out. So, you have to make sure that you have enough to survive. Even though they are rabbis, the ma'am, the they, they, they didn't go to sleep unless their money was cleared from the entire... They nothing for the next day. But the way that we're supposed to do it on our level is we're supposed to give tzedakah. And with that, what uh, make sure that we don't give you know so much that we're not going to be left with anything. That we're well, not going to be able to survive.
2: You have what to live, but I'm saying that if anyways, your, your order, whatever you give of your tzedakah isn't taken away from your base, so why is it that...
1: Um, so the Gemara says... in the.
2: Catholic Anyways, right, time. so
1: the Gemara says specifically Shabbos, Yom Tov, and Talmud Torah. Yeah, that's
2: what I was
0: trying
1: to yeah. say. That, yeah, right. So it says specifically that you don't lose out by giving to, to Tzedakah. In fact, the, the uh, Gemara does say that one of the things that you could test Hashem is by miser. That the more you give, the more you get. Oh, but how is that going to work if everything was decreed already at Rosh Hashanah? So how can you go and give more and then you'll get more? So again, either the money will go a lot further... Or it would be for the next, ne- you know, your next after Rosh Hashanah. That's going to be you're going to be, you know, make you know X, Y, and Z. Now, we, we all, like it, it's. I don't want to tread into area where it's so. Like I don't know the word I'm looking. At. It's so confusing to think about because what happens is when we tread into certain areas, we try to be God's accountant, right? So we try to say, okay, fine. So we're supposed to make hundred thousand dollars, let's say a year. And then a God is going to say, okay, but you're going to give 20000 over here, and then you're going to give 20000 for tuition. So then where is the extra money going to come from? So we end up starting to be like, okay, so now how is God going to do that? How does that work? So while the, the concept is what the Chazal tell us, is obviously the way that it, you know, they, they mention, but once we try to delve in on how we break it apart and we try to think about like, how God is going to actually do it, that's already going into God being God's accountant, and that's something that you know, we have to step back and be like, okay, what, we don't know how God goes. To, you know, to the point also where you could also take this into another, I would be like, okay, so God knows how I'm going to be in the future. God knows the future. So God knows how I'm going to be at. So does God take how I am in the future to the Rosh Hashanah that I had previously to know what I'm going to make, on, you know, to, to put, I'm going to do X, Y, school out I'm going to give this amount of money. So does God include that in the previous Rosh Hashanah? So once we start into all these, it's like trippy type of, uh, you know, thoughts. Like when you deal with the future and the past, and, and it's, it becomes very, very confusing for us because, we cannot comprehend this information because we're based off of space and time that's where we're, our foundation is and once we branch out of more than that and we and this is also being like asking God and or being God's accountant, I like to call it is taking something that we can't even begin to understand because there are so many different you know uh like roads to get to this location that we only know let's say we just spoke about let's say two school or whatever it is there's is like you know. What about your ancestors' merit? What about the fact that you did X, Y, and Z previously? What about the fact that your future—you're going to have a child that's going to need, a, you know, is going to make a lot of money and that's going to come to you? There's so many things that are coming in from all different angles that when we're looking at one angle, we're, we're explaining one angle, but we also—the reason why we can't be God's accountant because God's looking from a bird's eye view, seeing ten billion different synapses and, and connections towards it. So it gets a little bit confusing, but that's when we have to realize, okay, like we're we're not the accountant. Sorry, I just have one last. Yeah, question. sure.
2: Follow up questions basically. Um, so I was one. I try to do um, specifically the minimum, which i according to my level, and then I specifically chose like studying as like an example because I felt like, or well, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's not like when that's sort of like dating, where like. It's like everything, of course, everything's by Hashem, but I'm saying like in terms of studying, like everyone's born with a certain amount of wisdom or like intellect, and then like you work with it. Like for some people, order for them to understand like one page, it takes them five minutes to study, and some people take 15 minutes to study. So for me, like I need to, I personally saw that I need to like more effort in turn to make like certain, like to like make some like classwork assignments stay in my head and like class exams. Um, but does it mean that, um, I, so I, I do more Heshalu in my studying, but does it mean that because I do more Heshalu in my studying that like that I don't do, like, let's say, Panassa or other things? Does it mean that I've now raised the bar of how much I have
1: to do in all my activities? No, no. Oh, that's a good question. So no, so, so let's say, for example, um, and this is very, very good also for learning Torah. So when someone goes in and is, let's say, there are, Doing um, the, In order for them to learn the halachot, it takes them a really long time. So they've put a lot of effort into learning that, memorizing that, understanding that. Well, somebody else scans it once, knows it backwards and forwards, and can give you different questions that he never even or she never looked at. And go the, No, so what you, we have to do is we have to know until you know it, especially if you're going to a certain degree, let's say. So you have to know the material. You can't say, okay, I did my effort. Be like, no, if you don't know it, and you're going, let's say, into the medical field, you know... Yeah, Allah, Hashem will help, you know, spin the dice and see what happens. There. No, you have to make sure that you're, you know what you're doing. And it's not, it's not like, okay, well, I did my studying and I did the normal. You have to do it until you know it and everybody is on their different level. But just because you're putting a lot of effort in here doesn't mean that, okay, this is your level of Ishtadut and other things. This is just, this is an acquiring of knowledge based on your own level. Oh, okay. Um, okay. That's it. Okay, we also have a question over here. You know the thing is with these questions over here is I don't read it before. I just read it a lot and sometimes it's like I start reading it and I'm like, oh man. But no, it's not, it happens to be it's not here. It's not, I'm not, I, you know, I to, now that I'm, I'm live I can actually say that. But I usually just read the things like nothing to do with the question I'm about to ask. I have no idea what it says. Does the level that you are on refer to the amount of emunah in Hashem or does it refer to the amount of effort you put into other matters? I don't really follow that question. Does the level that you are on refer to the amount of imunah in Hashem or does it refer to the amount of effort you put into other matters? So the level that you are on should be consistent with the level that you are in other matters. That's a true level of where you're on. Um, but some people, and in fact, I think everybody, has a different level of imuna in different areas. Uh, not that it's wrong, but generally, we, if we want to know where we're holding, we have to realize where we're holding in all areas. Okay, next question. How do people afford to give money when they have a ton of kids in yeshiva? <laughs> um, so, the you know, I, it, the truth of the matter is is that this is the biggest... You look at people and how they survive. You know, who did I meet? I met recently somebody that had a family of like 18 or 20 kids. And it's like like... The tuition on that is like a half a million dollars. Whatever it is, I don't know where they're sending to it, but it's like, you know, like, and and people have, you know, jobs, and I don't know, you know, they're not making millions. How do they survive? And I've, I've spoke to this to a lot of people, and I found this very interesting, is that you you realize that, I don't know if it's the Jewish or, you know, world or just like everywhere, where you realize how people survive is a miracle in itself. The fact that you're able to have a roof over your shoulder, the fact that you're able to have some mode of transportation, the fact that you're able to have you know clothing on your back, and you you know it's just so miraculous. Like it makes no sense. And even if you think, well, I work for it. But like, stop for a second. I'm like, okay, what do you do already? Most of the times, with all due respect, a monkey could do those jobs. Like it's not that hard of what we're you know like most people. If you can think about it. It's like even the 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 jobs that you require some sort of degree in. I unless it's like a doctor or maybe even a lawyer like, like one of those like, where you need a master's in certain things most of the things you could, you could train somebody on the job Within a few months to do exactly that, accounting could be could be trained with a few. You have to know a little bit of laws, a little bit of that. But I tend to do. I mean, I get not an accountant. I don't want to downplay accountants, but I'm pretty sure there's a program that you just type in stuff into it, and then it kind of comes out. I may be wrong. I mean, you have to know laws and regulations. And so don't get me wrong, definitely get a good accountant. I don't do my own taxes. I go to an accountant to do it. But it's something that you realize a lot of things is not. You know, you're not that smart. Uh, you know. An educated toddler could get close to that. You know, like an educated adult could equally do that. As long as they get something. You look at all things that require, you know, degrees in it. At the end of the day, even if you go to the health, healthcare field, physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, all these different types of things, yes, you have to know about the body. But at the end of the day, a lot of what they do is the same type of stuff. And if you go hands-on, tell, tell somebody, do X, Y, and Z, very simple you could go and and you could train somebody to do that so we tend to think okay like how we're we able to go and support at the end of the day we're not supporting nothing you know like okay you're doing x y is it really really is that really deserved amount the money that you're making you know, yes, I have to say that it happens to be when you're dealing with with people on a you know, like teachers, for example. That's a different level because then you have to, to learn what. I was about to say, I'm like, I don't know if you mean teachers or anything. Anyway. No, 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 teachers are different. When you're interacting, healthcare workers. Um, and that, what I mean by that is more mental healthcare workers. These are things that you have to. There's a lot. That's at a different level. You're interacting, but like other things. Not to downplay other other you know professions, but. A lot of the professions, you could technically be very, very good at it without going to college, without getting the degree. You could do it. So, like, so how is everybody going? And you know, like, for at the end of the day, you could see, like, you know, you have people, and no matter what profession you're in, you realize that some people would be like, "How did you graduate?" Like, no, no, like, like who, like, you know, even in like doctors, you know, PAs, nurse practitioners, be like. How are you writing prescriptions? Like, you should not be doing, like, no, this is, like, wrong. Like, I don't know who gave you the, and this is somebody who's, like, gone through school and through experience. And then you have somebody who's working and sweeping the floors and is able to do everything ten times better. At the end of the day, we have to do our effort, and it's not our business degrees, it's not our, at the end of the day, it's it's mamish a miracle on how we survive. So how do people give money when they have tons of kids? It's a miracle. That's all I That's the answer I gave you. Okay, we have here another question. I was asking, oh, it was a previous question. I was asking in terms of Ishtagos we should put in, when we're looking at what level we're on, a level referring to overall amuna or our amuna in each specific scenario or our amuna level compared to the amuna that we're having in other situations. So really, okay, so the question is like, I'm at different levels in the moon in different areas. What do I do when I want to work on something? Do I do where I am on this level? Do I do where I am at other level? Do I do where I am at you know let's say parnasah? I'm at ninety. Uh, health I'm at fifty, uh, meaning the level of how I have the munat to um, to uh, to ishtadlut ratio. On uh, the other one I'm like twenty percent of the munat. So where where do I fall? So really you should be standard across the board. And if you feel like you're higher in one level than the other then in many times it is possible that you have more Eman in one area, and it could be really, really true, but you have to really look into yourself and realize where you're holding. The, the, the point is to know where you're holding in that specific level while keeping the whole picture of where you are and, uh, overall to all areas of Eman HaBidachon, just so that you could be a little bit honest with yourself. And then usually that sparks another question, be like, okay, so now if I'm 20% here and not 80% here, which level really am I on? And that gives you us uh, the difficult question of getting to know who we are as a person. Mm-hmm. All right, okay. any other questions?
2: Is there like an assessment on how we can like do like how? that
1: would be great. We are? should I have a question there. No? Yeah. 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 Just to know
2: like what are, like who, who are
1: you? Yeah. You know, like, because rather even the... you're
2: like Avah. I remember the Maschallah. The story of the the guy with the store who was perfectly fine with his iman until somebody else opened up. Like where was his
1: then? So his imanah was. It it was. It it might have been. Well, the way the Chazon goes and explains that it was a fake imuna. It was. It was. It wasn't real. It was in a sense. It was in his mind, but it wasn't. If it would have been inside, it would have had it. So, so we. Yeah. It's. It's difficult. That's why. It's. It's. The reason why it's so difficult, this topic, is because in order to get to an answer, you have to know yourself, and we're very scared to know ourselves. That's why we pay other people to hear us talk, to go and figure out who we are, and to help us, you know, know ourselves. And, you know, so so it is, it is a very, very difficult, and this is why, people don't realize, like when you learn Torah, and you go and you follow me, that this is the best therapy, it's teaching you all the secrets of life. It really is teach you all the secrets of life. Like here you get to know and really start asking yourself the, the vital questions of who am I? Don't get lost, but I'm saying, ask the question, who am I? Good? Okay, Chazak You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.